Hey, good morning. Happy Memorial Day. How we doing? All right. Fresh faces among us. I see new faces among us. A special welcome to you. My name is Ross. We're so glad that you are here with us this morning at Centennial Church. Um, so glad to have you. You may notice that uh, those of you that are regulars, that there's no pulpit up here this morning. Did you notice that? Or podium? Is it technically a pulpit? I'm not sure. Uh, but that thing, it's not here. Uh, don't let that worry you. Uh, that doesn't mean that there won't be a sermon. There's going to be a sermon. Uh, it just means that the pulpit went to the lake with everybody else, apparently. So, um, no, what it means is I'm going to come down to you this morning. We're going to maybe have a little bit of conversation, okay, as we open up God's Word this morning. So let's do that. If you have a Bible, go ahead and open to John chapter 4, okay? And what I'm going to do today, I'm calling this uh, an interlude. Our series this summer is called Encountering Jesus, and what we've been trying to do is look at the one-on-one encounters with Jesus, Okay, we're about four weeks into this series, I think, and we, we've looked at Nathaniel, we've looked at Nicodemus, and last week, Dan took us to the woman at the well in John chapter 4, but there's, there's more to the story in John 4 that I want to just highlight this morning. So it's really not the, the woman's encounter with Jesus, but it's really what happens after that encounter as this woman goes back and tells her story. And, and it's really powerful. I think I think it's got some wonderful uh, lessons for you and I in it here. So this is kind of an interlude on a holiday weekend to really uh, kind of finish this story of the Samaritan woman, okay? So that's where we're going. Uh, but first of all, let me, let me ask you this. This is interactive. What, what is a hand-me-down? What is a hand-me-down? It's what you wore the first 10 years of your life. Thank you, Dave. Me too. Me too. I was the second born boy, okay? Big brother, little sister. So I was the second born. And like, like Dave, I got a lot of hand-me-downs. Uh, perhaps you had some hand-me-downs too. In fact, when I go back to my parents' uh, home, my mom has done one of those deals where she's got all of our school pictures framed year by year. So they're all like there in one frame, you know? And, and I say, look at my pictures, first grade through 12th grade, and then I look over at Ryan's pictures, first grade through 12th grade, I'm like, dude, we're wearing the same shirt in the same year. No fair, mom. Uh, the hand-me-downs, we, we've all made, and it's not just clothes, sometimes it's other things, hand-me-downs. Uh, I think I got a hand-me-down bike when I was a kid, right? Hey, here's the Schwinn. He's too big for it now. Now it's your turn. Uh, it's all we got for you, second born. Second borns have some real insecurities, okay? I'm just telling you, we just, the hand-me-down syndrome. We're all familiar with hand-me-downs, and actually hand-me-downs, if you're a parent, uh, it's kind of a great thing. I mean, you get to reuse this stuff. Um, but hand-me-downs are, are, are good for a while, but you, some, you, you will outgrow the hand-me-downs. And sometimes you want just a shirt that's your own, specifically for you, something you picked out, something that you really wanted. And though the analogy breaks down, okay, as many analogies do, this morning I I think this passage shows us uh, that we don't want a hand-me-down faith. We don't want to end our lives with a hand-me-down faith, something that's just kind of given to us from our parents 
that we just have to put on and wear and we didn't have much choice in. But we actually want a firsthand faith. We want an experience of Jesus, a reality, a faith in Jesus that's not just something that someone told us about, but it's, it's our own, that we've investigated it, that we've invested in it, and we've chosen that, man, this is the Jesus that I believe in. So that's what we're looking at, I think, here in John chapter 4. So let's do this. Uh, We're going to look, beginning of verse 39 all the way through 42, and I have some non-hand-me-down readers here. Uh, Let me get those on. And can we do this? This will be on the screen. Uh, I really encourage you, as you know, to have a a Bible in your hands, Um, but if you don't have one, it's on the screen. Would you read along with me? And I want to read verses 39 through 42. And then we're just going to walk verse by verse through this really power-packed passage, okay? So read along with me out loud, okay? Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. God's word. Thanks be to God. Um, That's the passage we're going to look at, and if you weren't here last week, I encourage you to go back and listen to Dan's wonderful message about the first 30 verses uh, where we see this wonderful encounter of Jesus with a Samaritan woman. It's beautiful the way he loves her, the way he gives grace to her, the way he gently calls her out but uh, forgives her and shows grace to her, so much so that she is transformed. So just picking up a little bit of the context, she meets Jesus, she's surprised, she's wowed, she's transformed. And then she goes, verse 28, okay, uh, verse 28 through 30, just to give us some context, says this, so the woman left her water jar, she went there to get water in the well, she left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? Verse 30, they went out of town and they were coming to him. Now, uh, it says she went away from the well and she goes into town and she says, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Now, why, why is that significant that Jesus uh, knew all that she had ever done? What was this woman's reputation uh, in the community? Why was she going to the well at noon in the height of the hot sun? Go ahead, talk out loud. No one else was there, and why did she want to be alone? She was an outcast. She was ashamed. As Jesus says, you you say you have no husband, you've had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. She, She was a person, we might say, of ill repute. Okay, I think the word that Dan used was tramp last week. She's not uh, in the high echelon of the community like Nicodemus was in the previous chapter. There's quite a contrast here from chapter 3 and chapter 4 and the types of people that Jesus encounters that encounter him. 
But this woman of ill repute, disrepute, whatever, she has this encounter in Jesus and a, a woman who's ashamed coming at noon no longer feels ashamed because she goes back and she tells his people, Jesus told me all that I ever did. And I think he's not just a prophet, but perhaps he's the Christ. He's the Messiah that was promised to our forefathers. So Jesus' love transforms this woman who in that day was shamed, didn't want to go draw well in the morning or in the evening where other people would be around, but she goes at noon. And she has enough courage, she has enough grace, she has enough love in her from Jesus that now she goes back to the town that had probably treated her poorly, that had probably gossiped about her and says, come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? So we pick it up further in verse 39. So verse 39 says this, many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. Now, here's what I want you to do if you write in your Bibles, if you're taking notes. Every time we come to the word because this morning, I want you to underline it or circle it, okay? Verse 39. Why did these people believe in verse 39? Because if the answer is in the book, Because of the woman's testimony. Thank you, Yvonne. They be- many. How many? Many. The answer's in the book. Many from that town believed in him. Why? Because of the woman's testimony. And what was her testimony? I once was lost and now is found. Uh, it's eight brief words is all it's summarized here from John. Eight brief words. He told me all that I ever did. In verse 39, we see the power of a personal testimony. The power of a personal testimony, that this this woman was transformed and she had an impact in the community that once ostracized her because she was transformed and she gave what she knew, her brief testimony. And people saw in this woman that she was transformed, that she was different. Do people see anything different in my life? Do they see any transformation in our lives? Has anyone believed in Jesus because of my testimony? Has anyone believed in Jesus because of your testimony? You don't have to be a Bible scholar. You don't have to be Rabbi Zacharias or Billy Graham or any famous preacher or seminary person. You'd have to be a person that's met Jesus, encountered Jesus, been transformed, brought from shame to peace and acceptance and love. And then you'd go and share your testimony. He told me all that I ever did. She didn't have a degree. She didn't know a lot of theology. She shared what she knew is the power of a personal testimony. Our mission at Centennial Church is what? To center lives on Jesus Christ. Not just that our lives would be centered on Christ, but that others might be centered on Jesus Christ, right? And where is our mission field? Where is our mission field? Is it, is it just in Haiti? Is it just in the Middle East where we send John and Wendy to go? Where was this woman's mission field? The town she came from. She just turned around and went home. And when you leave today, you're going to turn around and you're going to go to, out to eat if you're lucky. 
Uh, and then you're going to turn around and you're going to go home. Where is your mission field? This gal started right where she was. We have a little sign as you walk out here this morning. Start here, go everywhere. And we have a little phrase we say around here all the time. Every believer is a minister and a missionary. Doug Wines got the privilege to go minister last week in Palestine, Palestine, Texas. I'm from Oklahoma. I don't know these big words. He was in a prison. God put on his heart to reach out to prisoners, to those captive. And what an awesome experience. What an awesome testimony he shared with us Friday in our men's Bible study that God had put on his heart. Go do this mission. John just got back from London where he was helping a brother on the mission field and has been all over the world on mission. We have other folks among us like Michael Daly, where's Michael goes to Romania all the time. Stephen Hunt, who's still playing hooky from having a newborn. Don't tell him I said that. Organization that's helping humanitarian aid all around the world that we support Stephen and Genevieve and their crew ministry called GAIN. There are people that are going to go around the world, and I pray that you're one of them. I pray that our kids are some of them. But most of us are not going to go to the Sudan, but we're going to go to Samaria. Not going to go across the world, we're going to go across the street. Going to have an opportunity to witness to the people right around us. And folks, that's being a missionary. That's doing God's work. Praise God if we can go to prisons. We should. I, I, I'm, a, I'm so encouraged by what Doug has done. I, I want to sign up next. I want to do it. What an awesome opportunity. But you know, God has also put me around neighbors and other people in my life through family and, and history and friends um, that I get the privilege of sharing the story. And that's what this gal does. She starts right where she is and she shares her simple eight-word story. And that's the theme of John. If you haven't, I'm on on a rabbit trail. This one's for free. But that's the theme we've seen in John as we looked at this gospel. That Beginning in chapter 1, Jesus calls people and then they go and tell other people, right? Andrew is the guy that Jesus meets first in chapter 1 of John. And what does Andrew do? He goes and finds this just no-name guy named Peter <laughs> and says, hey, I think you ought to come follow this guy. And Peter, we know, because he begins to follow Jesus, right? Kind of does a lot of stuff for Jesus. But Andrew is kind of the guy we, forgot, we forget about a lot. Do you know much about Andrew? You remember much about Andrew? Here's what we remember about Andrew. He found Peter. <laughs> My life may mean nothing except that I find a Peter and invest in a Peter it's going to have a much bigger impact than me. We start here. We go everywhere. Come and see. I forgot where I was going on that. But chapter 1, twice, Jesus says, come and see. And then Andrew goes up to Nathaniel and says, come. There's a guy named Jesus. And he says, what good, whatever come, good ever comes out of Nazareth? And what does Andrew say? Come and see. Come and see. Verse 40 and 41, 
So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. Verse 41, and many more believed because of his word. Okay, Jesus, or excuse me, the Samaritan woman goes in verse 39, says, gives her testimony, and says, hey, you got you to gotta check this out. And what do they do? Take her word for it? Yes. But verse 40, they go straight to the source himself. The Samaritans came to him. They, they, they went to Jesus and they asked him to stay with them. Hey, Jesus, give us some time. And what does it say? Jesus said, no, I'm too busy. I don't care about you. Just take the woman's advice for it. I know that's a different translation. In my version, it says, no, they urged him to stay and he stayed with them two days. And then verse 41, and many more believed. Why? Remember, we're going to underline the word because. Verse 41, why did these people believe? Because of his word. That's to be contrasted with verse 39. They believed because why? Because of the woman's testimony. Now they're believing why? Because of his word. Because they went and investigated the claim. The claim was come and see. Perhaps this is the Christ. And they took the woman's word, but they then invested themselves. They went and investigated, and they said, hey, can we get two days with you just for a short uh, conference, seminar, retreat? And you can just kind of download to us who you are, what you're all about, and what you're doing in this mixed-up world. And they stayed with him. He stayed with them two days. The word here for stayed is the word in Greek, meno. It's the same word that we see Jesus use in John chapter 15 later when he says what? Abide in me. They said, Jesus, would you abide with us? And Jesus, yeah, I'll abide with you. I'll share the goodness of myself with you. I'll spend time with you. You come and abide with me. They investigated. They went and they saw for themselves and they believed. Why? Because of his word. And in verse 42 or 41 here, what we see is the power of personal experience. Verse 39, we saw the power of personal testimony, right? The woman's word. In verse 41, we see the power of personal experience. They stayed with Jesus. They invested time with him. They got to know him. They they learned of him. Why? Because they had experience with him. They abided. Abided? Is that a verb? That's not correct. Don't say the word abided. They abid? No. Somebody bail me out here. They abided. I made a new word. They made their abode with him. The power of personal experience. Now, uh, several years ago, I had a friend that uh, was a pretty close friend at the time, um, became a believer in college, and I was talking with him because he was really wrestling with his faith. In fact, I, he would probably say, Ross, I'm struggling, and I, I just don't think I believe anymore. I, I just don't buy it. And primarily, the things that uh, he was really struggling with were just kind of his doubts and kind of the big questions of philosophy and life, and can I really trust this Bible to give me the truth, and that kind of stuff, and he really had some doubts that he was wrestling with, and so we wrestled with those things together. Um, 
But they not only got some questions answered when they went to Jesus, they had an experience with him. They sat at his feet, kind of like Mary and Martha's story, or Mary sitting at Jesus' feet. They had that for two days. They experienced that. And as my friend was kind of going in this really deep season of questioning and doubt, one of the illustrations I used with him was a a three-legged stool. And I tried last night to get somebody to bring me a three-legged stool, and apparently they don't exist anymore. They're all four-legged stool. But you can visualize it, okay? A three-legged stool. Because if you've only got two legs, it's pretty wobbly, right? But if you're going to have a sturdy personal faith, okay, this isn't perfect, but here's the metaphor, okay? You got to have three legs to that stool. And one leg of it is those doubts, those questions, that intellectual part of can I really trust Jesus? Is the Bible true, okay? You might call that part the, the mind or the doctrinal part. And so I told my, my friend, Patrick, man, you, we got to work through this. We got we to think through these things deeply. But guess what? That's just one leg of the stool because there's another leg of the stool, and that's the second leg of that stool is experience. You got to walk with Jesus. You got to sit at his feet, and you not just try to figure him out with your mind, but you got to experience him and, and pray and see him answer prayers and see how he ministers to you in your, in your spirit. So you got this mind part, you got this doctrinal part, but you also have this experiential part, right? But there's a third leg of the stool. That's just two. The third leg of the stool is you got to be in community. You got to be in community because here's here's the thing. If you have a lot of doubts, if you don't treat your faith intellectually, uh, you don't know the doctrine, wobbly. But if you know a lot of doctrine and you don't have any experience and love for and time with Jesus, that ain't going to work either. But if, 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 if you're in a community of people with Jesus and that's kind of all you have is a community, but you don't have that experience yourself or you have a lot of doubt, you see how all these things work together? Now, our passage right here is primarily about the experience. But we, we got to have people pushing us to Jesus We have to have a depth of relationship with Jesus, and we have to know the truth of Jesus. We have to know what we believe and why we believe it. Now, last week, Dan quoted one of of our favorite preachers, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones of the previous century. I think he died in the 80s, preached until the 60s or whatever. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. And Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, his MLJ, exactly, And Tim Keller, one of Tim Keller's favorite preachers is Martin Lloyd-Jones. And any of you that have been here for a while know that one of my favorite preachers is Tim Keller. So it's like, my guru is Tim, and Tim's guru is MLJ. But one of the things I was reading, I've been reading a biography about Martin Lloyd-Jones, and one of my favorite quotes of Martin Lloyd-Jones is he says this. He says, I spend half my time telling people they need to know doctrine, They need a no doctrine. And I spend the other half of my time telling them that doctrine is not enough. You got to know mind, experience, and people pushing us. Because we have a mind, we have an experience, but we're out there all alone. Man, that's danger too. 
So that was a long rabbit trail about my friend and a sturdy, a sturdy faith. You can picture the three legs of the stool. Maybe that'll be a visual picture for you. But these people, they go and they investigate and invest time and then they experience Jesus. And look in verse 42 at the testimony that they now give. At the beginning of the story, the woman is giving the testimony, right? And now in verse 42, the people are giving the testimony back to the woman. It's full circle. This is beautiful. Look at verse 42. It says this. They said to the woman, okay, they went and found the woman. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves and we know this is indeed the Savior of the world. Now remember, we're underlining because, we're circling because. Why do they believe according to verse 42? We saw it in 39, 41, and now 42. Why do they believe here? No longer because of what you said, Samaritan woman, but we have heard for ourselves. And we know epigenosis. We know experientially this is the Savior of the world. He's the Savior of the world. And thank you for your testimony to, the, to us. But now we believe not just because of what you believe, but because what we believe, what we've experienced. In other words, as I started, this is not a hand-me-down faith anymore. This is a first-hand faith. Amen? A first-hand faith. We no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves and we know that this truly is the savior of the world. Roman emperors in that day would call themselves the savior. And her claim here is an affront to, to the political system, affront to all other gods, to all other idols, to all other kings. She's saying, Jesus is it. And I know, not just in my head, not just because some lady told me, but I know because I've been with Jesus. We know because we've been with Jesus and we've abided. <laughs> I really got to work on the verb tenses of that word because we've made our boat. I know myself, not just because of what you've said. What's your faith in? It's great that our parents hand down a faith to us. See, I'm, I'm, I'm recovering from a drug problem myself. I was drugged to church all of my life. Oops, phone call somebody. Uh, and I'm grateful for that. But eventually I had to come to a place, and we all, you all, have to come to a place, we all have to come to our place where we said we no longer believe because of our parents. We no longer believe because of the preacher. We no longer believe because of the young life leader or because of the campus minister told, but we, we believe because we've known, we've experienced Jesus ourselves. This really impacted me as I was reminded this week, 20 years ago, May, the month of May, 20 years ago. I was working at a Christian camp. I was working at a Young Life camp in North Carolina, Windy Gap. 
And I was, in co- I was a college-age student, and as I began my 12-week assignment at camp, uh, as, I, as I started that summer, I had heard that my middle school youth pastor had had an affair with the church secretary. And as a young kid, 18, 20 years old, I guess, um, that shook my foundation a little bit. Here's the guy. This is the guy that took me to Chicago to a week-long evangelism deal where we went and we shared our faith on the beach and knocked on doors, literally knocked on doors in Chicago and, and witnessed to people. This is the guy that taught me how to do evangelism. And his world just crashed and burned for a while. And I thought, wow. And then a couple weeks later, I got word from my parents that the church treasurer, who I had known since I was four years old, had embezzled hundreds of thousands of dollars from the church. And I'm like, whoa, these guys, this, this was the faithful deacon, elder in our church. This is the guy that taught me how to share the gospel and it set me back for a minute. What is your faith in? Is it in your parents' faith? Is it in the pastor's faith? Is it in what you've been told? Or is it become first-hand faith? And for it to become first-hand faith, you have to sit at the feet of Jesus. You have to get to know him. As I was at that camp that summer, I was reading through my utmost for his highest. A lot of you have this book, it's classic. If you don't have it, you should get it. Oswald Chambers. Just one page devotionals each day. And I came that summer to May 31. And here's what I picked up and I read in light of the context I just had. The title says, put God first. And then it gives a verse from John chapter two, okay? It doesn't have the whole verse up here, but it says, Jesus did not commit himself unto them for he knew what was in man. Okay, let me, let me go back and give you that whole, John chapter two, uh, 24 and 25, or just 24 it says, but Jesus on his part did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and he needed no one to bear witness about man for he himself knew what was in man. You catch that? That's that's what he's talking about here. And then he goes on and he writes this. This is what I hear that day. Put God first in trust. Put God first in trust. Our Lord trusted no man, yet he was never suspicious, never bitter, never in despair about any man because he put God first in trust. He trusted absolutely in what God's grace could do for any man. And here, catch this sentence. If I put my trust in human beings first, I will end in despairing of everyone. I will become bitter because I have insisted on man being what no man can ever be. Absolutely right. Never trust anything but the grace of God in yourself or in anyone else. So I end with this. What is your faith in? 
Is your faith in Jesus or is your faith in the faith of someone else? Is it a hand-me-down faith or is it a first-hand faith? I want you to close your eyes with me, and I just want to ask you some questions that are, as our eyes are closed, okay? Have you believed? Have you put your faith in the Savior of the world? Question number two, are you abiding? Are you investigating? Are you investing in Jesus? Have you believed? Are you abiding? Are you investing? Third question, are you sharing? Are you sharing? This woman met Jesus and she immediately went out and shared it. Are you sharing with anyone? Who is it maybe even right now that God would put on your heart that someone you live across the street from, someone you work with, Someone that you need to share with. Have you believed? Are you abiding? Are you sharing? Is this your faith? Or is this your faith in someone else's faith? I want to invite you to stand now and pray with me. Stand and pray with me. We're going to respond in song and at the table. But heads bowed, eyes closed. Father God, we're grateful. Um, we're grateful for the witnesses, the parents, the youth leaders, the preachers and pastors, the campus leaders, the friends or coworkers that have shared Jesus with us. We give you thanks that they have handed down to us the Savior of the world. But God, my fear is that we trust in what other people say more than we trust in you. So God, would you put it on our hearts right now how we can better abide, how we can more faithfully invest, how we can sit for moments and days at the feet of Jesus. And Father God, also by your spirit, would you empower us to share, to go out, to start here and to go everywhere, to go out and share what Jesus has done for us, to share what we have encountered ourselves in Jesus, the Savior of the world. He called those first disciples to come to you 
and then you sent them out. Jesus, may we come to you and may we be sent out today in your name with the hope of the world. God, thanks for choosing Samaritan woman's. Thanks for choosing Nicodemus. Thanks for choosing unrighteous and self-righteous people like me, these folks, these brothers and sisters here. We just confess we need you, God. We confess that our world needs you. May we trust you. May we share you. It's in your beautiful name we pray. Amen.